Hi, everyone. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the seventh annual Texas Tribune Festival. Uh, this panel is called Why is School Finance So Hard or Why School Finance is So Hard. Uh, and thank you all for, for coming to this panel. Uh, it is supported by the Texas Association of Realtors and Raise Your Hand Texas. Um, our sponsors and donors underwrite the event, but they play no role in the line of questioning or the people who are here today on the panel. Um, the timing for this panel will be 60 minutes. We'll do uh, probably 40, 45 minutes of discussion, and then you'll have time to ask questions at the end. Um, I'll try and uh, give you a signal before so you can line up. There's a mic in the middle, so um, I'll give you the signal uh, about five minutes before uh, where you can start lining up to ask questions. Um, please, everyone, silence your phones uh, so we don't have any interruptions during the discussion. Um, but we would love if you guys want to tweet. The hashtag for that is uh, TripFest17. Um, so I'm going to introduce our panelists, and then we'll jump right into the discussion. Uh, so we have here uh, Chairman Dan Huberty, who is a representative from Houston. Um, he was the chair of the House Public Education Committee, um, and that sponsored the, the major school finance bill, or authored the, the major school finance bill in the regular session and, again, in the special session. Uh, we have Representative Donna Howard from Austin. Uh, she's a member of the House Appropriations Committee. Hometown. <laughs> Hometown. <laughs> uh, specifically on the, on the subcommittee that oversees education spending. Uh, and then we have Representative Mary Gonzalez from El Paso. Uh, definitely came the farthest today, and she was also a member of the House Appropriations Committee. Uh, so to start, um, I'm going to start by talking about Hurricane Harvey. Obviously has been in the news now, has changed a lot of the conversations that we're having around education, around a lot of other issues. Um, more than one million students uh, were affected by this hurricane. Uh, either because their, their homes were flooded or because you know, they were displaced. They are just generally traumatized by having a natural disaster occur in their state, um, even if they're not located in the, in the Houston region. Um, and so in talking about school finance, that means a lot of, a lot of costs, a lot of, of changes in the way that we, we talk about money um, and how we educate students. Um, for you, Chairman, I mean, you're, you're uh, in the, the Houston region. You have some school districts that were affected by this. How does, how does this natural disaster change the way that we talk about school finance? Yeah, uh, so the area I represent um, um, got hit pretty hard. Uh, Kingwood area, uh, Tassacita, uh, Lake Houston, um, you know, uh, we had uh, tremendous, obviously, tre tremendous amount of rain uh, and flooding. And, um, you know, certainly all of Houston in the region that's, that's down there took a huge, huge hit. You know, Kingwood High School was pretty much destroyed. Uh, the kids there going to uh, Summer Creek at, in the evening uh, so that they can go to school. So that, that's even one of the traumas that you have. You know, think about being a senior in high school and you can't even go to the school that you've you know, been, been going to. And, and we're trying to get that back up. We don't, we don't know how severe it is, but we think it's 80 to $100 million in damage just in that one school. Um, so, so there's going to be some of those issues we're going to be having to, to, to deal with. And, um, you know, I'm not, I, I believe it's, it's, it's sooner than later. You know, I know we've, we've heard from people who says, oh, we can deal with all this next legislative session. There's no way. I mean, we have, we've got to get back to work and we've got to start talking about this stuff right now. And, um, you know, the other impact will be is the de devaluation of the homes. You know, when you have um, uh, every business in, in, in Kingwood, basically, from, from uh, the, 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 the river to inland, uh, you know, hundreds of businesses completely destroyed. 
And so when you have that loss, and, you know, we had loss of life and other things that happened as a result of this, but um, property devaluations. And we have Chapter 42 school districts that are going to be um, being held harmless, so to speak. Um, th- those are going to be big checks that the state's going to have to write. And, and so I think we're going to be seeing a lot of that. And I know uh, Houston ISD is an example. One of the big issues that, they, that, that, we'll, that we will see from the state's perspective is that any uh, damage uh, related to schools, facilities, things of that nature, uh, will be able to be uh, uh, perceptually re- reduced from the recapture payment. So when you start talking about school districts that would be writing a check to the state for $100 million and they've got seven, $800 million worth of damage, those are going to be some of the things that are going to come into play as well. So it's going to be a, a long time coming. We have our first hearing. Uh, the speaker issued five interim charges, three of which relate to public education, and we are having our first hearing October 12th here in Austin to start okay. talking about that and plan on having several more uh, in, in late October, November, uh, to get to the bottom of it. I've talked to Chairman Taylor. Um, he actually wants to do a joint hearing. I, I'm, I'm fine with that. I think we will. Uh, the first one will be just our, our group, and then, and then we'll, we'll expand that out, and hopefully we can get the Senate to start working with this, because this is serious. Okay. And you've said that you, so you've obviously already talked to people from, from your district. What are some of the things that they've been asking you to do um, as chairman of the, the Public Education Committee? Besides clean up their trash? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think we're in a, we're in a, a point where I've, I've talked to Commissioner Morath. I've talked to many of the superintendents uh, within the region. Uh, the, the, the big issue really is going to be um, property valuations losses. Um, you know, as the, as the reset comes out in January, that's where, where people are concerned about it. And, and whereas the, the state's going to have to pay more of the share, um, that's one of the things we talked about during the regular session is that the state should be paying more of the cost of the education uh, versus, the, versus the locals. Well, there's not going to be a choice now. Uh, we're going to be forced to be able to do that and have to do that. And, and, and so we're gathering information. It's, it's still, when you think about it, even two, three weeks away from where it was, uh, we still don't have all the information that we need to know of, of how bad the impact is. My hope is by the 12th, uh, we'll have the commissioner in. We're going to have a lot of different superintendents coming in and talking to us about their individual <laughs> issues. Because I, I really believe a lot of these are individual issues, uh, particularly for a school district. And so those are the things that we're going to be studying and looking at. Okay. Representative Howard, Austin area school districts have also taken in a lot of students who have been displaced by the storm. What are some of the things that you're hearing um, that are needs for, for those schools where they have a lot of kids who weren't there before. Right. Actually, um, it turned out it was many fewer students than I had anticipated. Uh, AISD reported that there were 55 students as the, as the only additional okay. students that they're going to have. It. This is a school district of 84,000 students, so it's not going to have as, as significant an impact in terms of the numbers. Um, and even with the recovery efforts that were, or the, I'm sorry, the, the, the sheltering efforts that were in place by uh, Austin and AISD in particular for the, the evacuees who came here, I, I think the number I remember was something in the realm of 165,000, which they'll probably get from FEMA. So, you know, I don't think financially or in terms of of delivery of services, it's going to have as significant an impact on Austin as, as one might have anticipated, certainly not like your area. Um, but I do think that everybody is wondering how this is going to impact financing when you do have decreased property values, you have displaced students, you have some school districts that are, are being funded based on a certain number of students who aren't going to be there. You have schools that haven't even opened as of today. Mm-hmm. These are students that are are not having uh, instruction 
and we're going to hold them to the same accountability. Um, I, I just uh, was talking with a relative in the Ingleside area. They just started this week, but the Aranza schools have not started yet. So I think there are some issues that can, can uh, come to mind. Uh, you know, Diego Bernal, who was going to be on the panel and uh, wanted to express his regrets that he has a new baby who was sick this morning, and so he's not with us today. But he, one of the things he talked about to me about was uh, the need to have some kind of a weight for homeless kids. Now, the, Harvey in and of itself is not the only reason for that, but it brought a lot of things to light that a lot of school districts are already dealing with in terms of homeless population and the extraordinary amount of resources that are, are necessary to help those students be successful. And so that might be one thing that, that we would talk about. One of the things that came to my mind as I was thinking about it, too, was um, our virtual school network. How do we have something in place that takes advantage of that when we have students who have no opportunities to go to their own school and, and no place to go for a period of time, and, and as we have seen now with Harvey? Are there some things that we can anticipate and plan in the event that we have uh, disasters that do displace students so that they don't get uh, penalized, basically, for not having the opportunity to go to school. I think this is going to raise a lot of issues for us, but the main thing we're here to talk about today, and I think the main thing that most of us are fo we're focused on now, is how are we going to be funding our schools? The state has not kept up its share of the cost of public education. This is, as Dan says, is going to force us to, but then that gets us to the question of where's the revenue going to come from? And we already have significant holes in our budget that we're, we're shoring up with accounting mechanisms. We have to find real money right. to replace this, and that's, that's a big issue. Right, and obviously during the, during the special session especially, um, a major point of contention between the House and the Senate was whether or not to use the Rainy Day Fund, um, which is a, a state savings fund um, of money from oil and gas taxes primarily, um, the House uh, wanted to use it for, for several um, pieces of legislation, including some education-related legislation. The Senate was very opposed to it. Um, where do you think, I mean, and now, you know, the, the uh, Lieutenant Governor has talked about using some of it to plug the holes where um, state agencies will spend money now, and then in 2019, uh, the, legisla the legislature hopefully will, you know, put the rainy day fund money into those holes. Um, where do you think we would be now if, uh, if we had used the, the rainy day fund earlier during the, during the special session for some of the legislation? And well, I, I would, you know, I, I think we'd still be in, in a good, good shape because mm -hmm. we were uh, given a, a biennial revenue estimate by the comptroller that by the end of this next budget, we would have $12 billion in that fund. Um, we used about a billion to help uh, balance our budget. So that would leave about $11 billion. If we had used whatever the final number was, Dan, on, on your bill, a couple of billion? 1.6. 1.6 billion. Uh, that would have still left a significant amount to work with. We know that the, that the, the federal government and insurance are going to cover a lot of the costs. The big numbers we're hearing are absolutely big numbers, but it's not that the state is going to be needing to cover that larger amount. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't, for a second, think that if we had voted out Dan's bill and funded it through the Economic Stabilization Fund, that we would have some big difficulty right now. We would still have substantial money with which to work. I mean, I, 
the problem with this panel is we all agree. No, right? no. I'm like, I agree with everything Donna Howard just said. Controversy. <laughs> and it's bipartisan. Uh, basically. Not, not on everything. Not on everything. <laughs> <laughs> Chairman, you don't agree with everything I say? No, I don't. <laughs> um, no, but, but Representative Howard is completely correct. And, and, and I think the fact is, is that we were encouraged to use the Rainy Day Fund or the Economic Stabilization, Economic Stabilization Fund during the regular and special session because we do have too much savings, right? And so now, luckily, we have it, but it would have been an impact had we used it and also had some for Harvey. Right. Um, so now, I mean, the conversation is around... As I was saying, state agencies uh, spending now, maybe using money uh, from, uh, you know, using money, front-loading money so that they can uh, get reimbursed during the 2019 legislative session. Mm -hmm. um, should schools be concerned that that money won't actually get to them from the rainy day fund? I mean, we've heard a lot during the special session that you can't promise future funds. You can't promise right. that the next legislature will pay that off. How should should schools be concerned? Well, I, you know, my, my belief is is that I, I you know, I, I've talked to Commissioner Morath on multiple occasions, talked to the governor's office. Uh, you know, the governor came out and said that uh, they think everything can be done by LBB and everything, you know, or certain things can be done. Um, I, don't, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think there are certain things that when you talk about, um, you know, making up for declining property values, um, and when really the impact will be in the 18 school year, uh, the beginning of that 18 school year, uh, you know, it's, again, to be determined on, you know, when we start having our hearings and we digging into it and figuring out what they can and what they can't do. Uh, what we don't need to have happen is, 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 is setting precedence where uh, the LBB and, and executive branch of the government start deciding in, in encumbering dollars and using for, for a very particular reason. And I think school districts in particular um, that have had such a huge impact. You know, when you think about, you know, every business in, in a community like where I live or Aransas or places like that that are gone. I mean, gone, not coming back. Uh, you know, how do you make up for that, for that tax value and the sales tax that goes with it and all the other things that, that are going to be really important and critical for us to be able to go forward? Uh, and again, I think that if you wait until 19 uh, to be able to start having that discussion, you've lost two years. And two years of revenue is a huge issue uh, for us in the state of Texas. And, um, you know, I, I think what you'll see from at least the, the, the men and women that are on, on my committee uh, is the, is the um, uh, ability and willingness to come back and, and sit down and have this discussion and, 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 and deal with it and fix it. Because if we don't, uh, it's going to put us very far behind. And I, I just don't see uh, any, any path to victory for the schools if we don't take this very seriously as we go forward. So, again, we'll have the first hearing. We'll talk about it and see where it's at and then get some ideas in talking with the commissioner. Um, I think, again, we're, we're still trying to figure out, you know, how many kids are displaced, where they're at, where they're going to school, um, what's the impact uh, of, of schools. Are these, are these kids coming back? Tens of thousands of homes. Um, you know, where are they living? Where are these kids going? Where, you know, are they coming back? Are they not coming back? We just don't know yet. And right. it's going to take us a little bit of time to get there. Right. And, Chairman, do you plan to be in the legislature in 2019 to, you know, fight for public schools for this funding? That's a great question. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> What's your next one? We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. Yeah, special session ended, and then we had a storm that you know, you know, destroyed our community. And my focus is on 
on uh, making sure that my community is recovering as quickly as possible. My office was flooded. Our homes were flooded. Uh, you know, literally every weekend we're, we're out trying to remove debris and figure out what's going on. That's our focus right now. Okay. I think really quickly to go back to your question, though, and not about Chairman Hewitty. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd be happy to go back to that question. Minds, but uh, <laughs> if the question is, if the statement has been made that everything will be okay into 2019, and I think that there are so many education leaders in the room, and what I would caution them is that we should be very vigilant about, because we, A, there are so many moving pieces, like Represent Chairman Hubertie has, has said, and because there are still a lot of questions, not only to get through this biennium, but also going into the next biennium. And so is it a, just because a statement has been made that things are okay until 2019, I think it is our responsibility, as all of us who care about education, to be very vigilant about the next two years and thinking forward for after that. So. Right. What does that What does that entail um, practically for you as a legislator? I think exactly what Chairman Huberty is already doing. Right. Investigating what are the, what are the exact numbers? I I think right now it's really hard to say this is what it looks like because there's still so many unknowns. Right. I think we we have an appropriations meeting in Houston October second. He has his meetings for PubEd. I think collectively we get the data and then we make a plan. But right now, without the data, how do you even make a plan? And that's the educator in me, right? So uh, I think that's the first step. Right. You know, property value decrease. You know, it, it, it could be anticipated. You know, fifty plus billion dollars. Um, you know, and you start doing the math on that, and, and you figure out pretty quickly the huge impact on an annualized basis. You know, it could be three, four billion dollars a year uh, of additional state aid that will be required. Because, uh, you know, I don't believe the million children are going anywhere. It's just that the homes that people have uh, have been completely destroyed. And, and, and where do you start and what do you do? I mean, those are the things that we really need to get a handle on. And, again, we just won't know until, until evaluations come out and, and January's uh, tax bills. And, and then, you know, a lot of those won't get resolved until June because people are going to fight their tax bills, obviously, I would assume. And, and so we'll, have to, we'll just have to see where that lands. But, again, the, the, the ability to appropriate the, the, those monies, if, if, you need, if you know you have that big of a problem, which we believe it probably is, and it could be greater than that, okay, with sales tax and things of that nature that come in from a, from a fee perspective. Uh, I know that, that one of the things that, you know, I, I worked for Boone Pickens a long time ago, and one of the things Boone said, when's the best day to plant a tree? It's today. When's the next day? Tomorrow. Well, you know, we need to plan today, and we need to make sure that we do it. Not in 2019, and then you're going to get through the end of the legislative session. When you start thinking about that, that's, you know, more than two years, you know, more than two years away or two years away roughly, uh, it's going to be a huge problem for schools, and, 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 you, and you're losing a population of children when you have that and the economics associated with that. So we have to be very, very careful about that. And we are going to be having our, uh, the certified revenue estimate for coming out from the comptroller October, November sometime, and uh, talked with Chairman Zerwas about making sure that appropriators hear about what have actually, I don't know if he's going to come to our meeting in October or not, but hear what, uh, what that CRE is so we know where the budget is right now and then have more frequent updates than normally happen. I mean, personally, I think we should have frequent updates anyway, but basically, we don't. And so here we have a $216 billion two-year budget with a part-time legislature that comes in every other year and has some interim hearings, and LBB can maybe weigh in periodically on things. It, if that was a business, I don't think it would be run that way. Uh, but here we are with this, I guess you could say, opportunity to have people recognize that we may need more frequent updates to be able to 
as Chairman Hebert's talking about, start getting more data, knowing what's going on, being able to make decisions, and not necessarily waiting till 2019. When we come back in 2019, we already know we're going to have to have a supplemental budget for one to two billion underfunded Medicaid. That's already there. Not to mention other things that could be there. We've uh, used about $4 billion again of, of general revenue dedicated funds that we collect for one thing and instead of spending it on that, hold it back in order to balance the budget. Uh, we've made some deferrals. We're going to have double payments for uh, the highway fund because of the deferrals that we made. So we're already going to come back with billions of dollars that we're going to have to find. So to think that we're going to find additional billions for schools, I'm not saying we wouldn't do it, I think that it's going to be harder if we aren't doing uh, work ahead of time to try to at least figure out what's going on and address it if possible. I mean, I, I don't have any problem with having a special session about it. I think that that would be appropriate myself. Well, and plus, think about what happened last session, right? Chairman Huberty had a really great school finance bill, and it got caught up in all the other things that weren't necessarily as important, and, and, and it got played into politics as opposed to good policy, right? And so what happens in 2019 when we're in a, in a, in a legislative session and politics again come up and it really impacts the fact of really addressing the needs of our local schools? And so there's a lot when we say let's wait till 2019, so many factors because you have the policy that needs to be more urgent and then you have the politics you'll have to deal with in a regular session. Right. Um, so I feel like a lot of the conversation around HB 21, or around the school finance bill, um, sort of got lost uh, when the hurricane happened, understandably so. Um, but I'm wondering if, you know, it was a $1.6, $1.8 billion bill um, would have, it was a first step, but it would have re revamped some of these uh, outdated formulas for funding public schools, um, would have uh, put more money in the in the hands of you know, these students um, and uh, would have increased the, the basic allotment uh, for, for public schools. Mm -hmm. um, how do you think that this conversation we're having now around um, Harvey would be different if that bill had passed in its original form? Like, what would be different for the students in, in your districts right now? Well, I think, I think the big difference was that it was meaningful, a meaningful first step and a meaningful change. Um, you know, it's, it's like, you know, uh, Groundhog's Day. You're sitting there talking about it again and again and again and again. And at some point, you know, the legislature has to take some action. We haven't had meaningful school finance reform uh, in, in, you know, I don't really count, uh, you know, I mean, I guess you could count 06, 07, because, but we were forced to by... Uh, the, the Supreme Courts, and, and in, the, in the case of that, the franchise tax was supposed to make up the difference of the shortfall, which was, you know, projected to be 12 to $14 billion a year is what the franchise tax was supposed to bring in to offset the cost for education. Now it's only bringing in less than four. And, and so you have, a, you have a structural deficit problem to begin with of $10 billion. And so this would have been a first step, as, as I always said through the regular session and the special session, that it was a first step. Uh, you know, and I think overwhelmingly the House voted for that as we move forward. We didn't use the rainy day fund. Remember, we used a deferral right. uh, associated with that. So uh, from an encumbering standpoint, yes, I get it, but we've done it in multiple times when, when we've looked at that. Uh, I think that the discussion would still be centering around, you know, students uh, not 
at particular schools or campuses. Um, you know, if you have a, an area uh, of, of town that got hit with, you know, 10,000 homes being flooded, where are those children going to school? But it's not like you're going to fire all the teachers that are at those schools because they're still showing up and you still have your fixed costs and all the other things that go with it. You know, if, if half the school goes away, you still are running the same bus routes, right? You still have cafeteria workers, you still have janitors, you still have everybody working in the buildings, and, and your electrical costs stay the same. I mean, nothing really changes. And, and so those are, those are going to be, uh, I think it, it certainly would have helped um, and it would have made a, a, a huge difference uh, in, in, in some of the debate and discussions that we're having. Uh, but again, I think it's just going to be really early to be able to tell. Uh, and that's why we pushed off our hearing to the 12th when I talked to Marath about it. You know, he was, he was saying, look, I, I, I've got a pretty good handle on where I think we're at, but I need a couple more weeks just to be able to gather the information. Once we get that, we'll start having those discussions about it. But, you know, clearly, I, you know, we in the House thought it was important to take that first step. Um, and... Uh, we just, couldn't, we just couldn't get our colleagues on the other side to, to agree that it was the time to be able to do it. Um, so we'll see what happens as we go forward. You know, the biggest problem with making these changes and moving forward and not just being caught in Groundhog Day is the fact that you keep going in with the same size pie. Mm-hmm. We had an opportunity the session before this where there was some additional money, and it made us more hopeful that we were going to make changes, which we still didn't make. But if you don't change the size of the pie and just cut up different slices, then you're going to have winners and losers and in our legislative body, if you're representing the losers, you're going to have a hard time supporting that bill. And so with what happened session before with uh, uh, Chairman Acock and what happened this session with Chairman Huberty, he had less to work with, uh, had to find some money somewhere, but still trying to address it so that everybody, or essentially everybody, had some kind of win out of it. Now, I represent Austin and Eames and Leander, and they weren't going to see a significant change. But at the same time, it was movement, and I think most of us recognized that we're not going to get anywhere if we don't don't start moving. Uh, It was certainly not going to go backwards for my districts. Uh, It wasn't as much as we would have liked to have seen. But uh, let me go back also to 2006 for just a second, because I happened to be here then. I happened to be one of the ones, the only one up here that had to take that vote. It was right after I had gotten elected. Um, And we found ourselves in a similar position that we are now in that the state's share of public education was only about 36%. And it was continuing to go down and down and down as property values were going up and people were very upset about their local property tax bills, just like we have now. Um, and Governor Perry appointed this Blue Ribbon Committee that uh, John Sharp chaired, and they got together 24 different business industries, blah, 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 came up with a proposal that would find new revenue streams so that we could decrease the amount of local property taxes. Um, the fact is that the franchise tax wasn't supposed to bring in quite that much, but it still was projected to bring in significantly more than it, than it ends up doing. One of the reasons this that brings in less money now is because the legislature keeps making changes to decrease the amount that the tax is supposed to bring in. So we are our own worst enemy a lot of times. We set up the failure, if you will, of what we're doing. A lot of people didn't like the franchise tax, even though everybody bought off on it at the time in 2006 and said, yes, this is spreading it out among more businesses, spreading the base, keeping the rate low. Uh, and then the complaints started coming in, and we started making changes uh, on a regular basis to the franchise tax to where now we're talking about eliminating it. There are people at the legislature wanting to eliminate it. You cannot fund something with nothing. 
And we, so we keep, I don't have the answer, but again, we talked about this uh, during the special session when, with the proposal I had to get the state back to 50% of the cost of public education. We have to be willing to talk about this and determine what revenue streams we can tap into, what we're willing to do here. And we cannot keep increasing the local property taxes. That is unsustainable. People have talked about increasing the sales tax. Well, good to a certain extent maybe, but that would take a significant increase in your sales taxes to replace the property taxes. Um, if, we, if people don't want to talk about an income tax, that never seems to be anything anybody wants to talk about at the legislature. So that's probably off the table, though I think everything should be on the table and we ought to be talking about it. Um, We've had several of us on a bipartisan way talking about how do we invest some of the economic stabilization fund, take it out of the mattress, and actually invest it at a higher yield and have some money generated that can be used for some things. We could generate money that way. You know, the, the so-called sin taxes. I mean, legalizing marijuana. You could get some uh, huge amount of... <laughs> now we see the differences. <laughs> I knew we'd get there. <laughs> I mean, if you look at Colorado and you look at the amount of money that Colorado's bringing in, my point being, I don't know what the answer is, but we need to be talking about everything we can think of here to find out what do people want to tax in order to get the money we need to pay for our schools. Because if we don't pay for our schools, we're not going to have that educated workforce pipeline we're not going to have educated citizens who can participate in our democracy. We're just not going to have it. And we're behind the curve already. I agree again. <laughs> and I'm just going to add, yesterday I was on a, uh, at a luncheon, and Chairman Darby said something very powerful. And he said, if we don't fund education now, Texas will end up being like a third world country. And I think that seems very extreme, but those of us who are education leaders understand what we really mean because we have been under-investing. We continue to cut many times when there's difficulties, and it really is at the consequences of our children, right? And so when we're talking about revenue, I'll give an example. And I brought this up during the PubEd meeting when Chairman, I had a bill that cost, I think, $18 billion. And Chairman Huberty asked me, well, Mary Gonzalez, where are you going to get that money? <laughs> and I said, well, one of the things I think we should look at, and this isn't the end-all, be-all, but we give away $43.7 billion, according to the comptroller, in corporate tax loopholes. And so maybe we don't take it all away, right? But shouldn't we at least re-examine if all those tax cuts should exist for all the corporations? Because at some point... Who's paying for it? Should the children of Texas pay for it? Or should the corporations of Texas pay for it? Or should there be some bigger balance? And all I'm asking for is some more balance and some more conversation about realistically creating revenue and who should pay for education. Because ultimately, if we are funding education, the people who, be who benefit the most is the business community. So don't they want, don't they need an educated workforce? And what is the investment going to come from from that community? I I do, think, I do think a lot of uh, innovative ideas came up during the special session when there was no money, you know, there was nothing really on the line. People sort of were just throwing ideas out there. Uh, I remember one uh, Ways and Means Committee hearing where Representative Darby um, proposed getting rid of the local property tax and not replacing it with anything to force the legislature to do something. I mean, specifically for that idea, that idea and then, um, you know, having some sort of 
state tax, some sort of state uh, property tax, state income tax. Mm -hmm. um, where do you guys stand on, on those ideas? Chairman Huberty? <laughs> well, look, I, I, I think that, uh, number one, I was not, as many of you know, I was not a huge fan of the School Finance Commission. I think that it's the legislature's job to be able to fund education, find the way to fund education. In fact, during the regular session, I killed the bill, and then ultimately what we ended up with was it was part of HB 21 at the end in the special session, and, um, you know, it was a combination of... Uh, of, of things that were in there that we ended up, I ended up taking the deal. Didn't like it, but I took it because uh, we, we, I'm an incremental guy. If I can get steps moving forward, um, that's what I think is important for us to be able to do that. Um, so as we, as we continue to go and look at alternative ways to be able to do it, you know, I think, in, I think income taxes is, is, is not, a, is not as a non-starter, certainly in the House from a Republican perspective, I think that's a non-starter. However, there are people that have talked about it for many years about a consumption tax versus the property taxes. I think that's a good idea. I think that those are things that we ought to look at. You know, you talk about the sin taxes and things of that nature. Those are interesting ideas as we continue to go forward. Hot taxes, hotels, things of that nature. Um, you know, we've even talked about, you know, the, the, the fact that we produce a third of all natural gas in the United States today. Um, how do we transport that? You know, when you think about the, the, the quantity of natural gas that's out there, is, you know, we ought to be thinking outside the box and saying, okay, you know, when we have people coming to visit the state, you know, what is the economic benefit to them and to us, and, and how do we get them to participate more in the, the, the costs associated with that? When we talk about our roads and highways and things of that nature, those are all the conversations that we have to be having. Um, and I believe that, that, that if, you, if you look at it, you know, today's political climate uh, is, is such that, that we have a lot of people that are just unwilling to govern. And, and, and so as a direct result of that, you have a, a select group of individuals that have to govern, that actually have to get things done, that actually, you know, um, and, and so, and that's okay, you know, and, and, and that's okay. And I think there'll be, hopefully there'll be people, um, you know, next session, the session after that, and the session after that, that will learn that if they want to be in this business, that they do actually have to govern. Uh, and it's going to be really important for us to be able to do that. And having these, these difficult conversations are going, to be, are, are going to be one of the things that we have to do. We just can't keep doing the same thing. I think it's, I think it's very clear um, that, that we have to be able to start having discussions about that. And, again, you know, I go back to the consumption tax. I think that's a, that's a very interesting concept when we talk about sales tax and how do, how do we do that. And I know there's some people that think it's a regressive tax on, on, on poor people as we continue to go forward, but I remind them that most of those people also pay property taxes, they pay in their rent or they pay at their homes, and we're talking about, you know, a decrease associated with that. So we've got to do a better job in this. This hurricane was a great example of, you know, people aren't, people aren't stopping buying food and, and things of that nature during this process. But what they are going to see is this huge decrease in the valuation of their homes. And because of the way the state does it and just the way that we continue to do it over and over and over again, I think we're going to see a really serious problem, financial problem, in the state of Texas within the next 24 months. Do you see that conversation, I mean, that level of innovation, that level of willingness to go outside of the box happening when it's not a special session, you know, when it's a regular, the next legislative session, the next regular le legislative session that we come upon? Um, you know, I, again, I, I think Mary said it, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of noise around a regular session and, uh, you know, there's a lot of different things going on uh, that, that create you know, impasses and, and debates and, 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 you know, I, I think that uh, to suggest that we were, we were uh, uh, clicking on all cylinders during the regular session I think would be an understatement. I think it was fairly dysfunctional. This was bad. I mean, I think, I think a lot of the things that happened, um, you know, we have a, you know, at least in the Republican Party, we have a circular firing range. 
you know, and and uh, uh, and and it's and it's bad, you know, and 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 you know, I mean, I, 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 many, some of you know me and know me that you know I, I'm Irish Catholic and and uh, I have a short temper sometimes, and so Donna sits next to me and knows it, and I just I just look at these guys that do this stuff, and I'm like, what the hell's the matter with you? You know, and 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 but but they are able to go home and say I'm the most conservative guy, and 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 but but you can't get anything done. So uh, you know, my my perspective is is that that yes, it will be something that will have to be addressed during during the regular session. But I really think there's an opportunity uh, right now in the next 12 months uh, for us to come back and do some really meaningful work to take that first step, which we've been talking about doing for years and years and years and years and take that first step in trying to, to address school finance uh, in a very meaningful way. Uh, because I think people will, will, will look at this and say, I get it. You know, we, we've got to do something. You know, we know how bad this is. Again, if we wait 18 months or 24 months to, to come up with a solution, it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late. I mean, it's going to devastate these communities, and we have a responsibility to do that. It's our jobs. Mm-hmm. It's our jobs to be able to do it. Well, I think that's uh, what y'all were both saying on that discussion, that having a special session and addressing some things in the interim makes a lot more sense than waiting till the regular when we have so much noise and there will be a, a more difficult time to narrow the focus on that. So I think that's a, another reason that I would think a, a special session would be helpful. But back to the part y'all were talking about in terms of um, you know, whether or not the legislature will uh, basically allow uh, this decreased funding to happen and will have to step up to the plate. I don't necessarily buy that we will uh, step up to the plate because we haven't in the past. We've been forced by the courts every time we've done anything. And in fact, if you look at what's happened since the 2006 property tax buy-down, which, oh, by the way, if y'all weren't around, was a third of the property taxes were bought down by the state so the property taxes came down from $1.50 to $1 for your local schools. It was a huge shift that most people didn't recognize because the property values were going up so fast that their tax bill was still high. So we bit off $14 billion for a two-year budget that didn't get a whole lot of attention there, and yet we had to find a way to sustain that. But we haven't because as your property values have gone up, the state's share has continued to go down so that we're back at the same place again. And, and we've known that. We've known that, and we have not made the changes along the way. We even bake it into our budget assumptions. Yeah. In, TEA, in the TEA budget, Rider 3 says part of how we're funding public education is assuming that you're going to have approximately a 7% increase in your property values in both years of the upcoming biennium. Right. We're counting on it. Well, and you know, Don, it's really important when you think about the other piece that, that we talked about during the, the regular session with House Bill 21 was the, that you have almost 400 school districts at the cap at $1.17, okay? There's nowhere for them to go, nowhere. They, even if they wanted to go to their local community, they couldn't go to their local community. Uh, and then you add on top of that the school districts that are falling into recapture, like a Houston ISD is an example, falling into recapture. Uh, you know, th- they would look at it and say, well, why would I go to my voters if I'm giving 70% of the money back to the state at this point, especially in an area that's gotten devastated? So, you know, those are going to be some of the things that I think are going to be really important because you declining valuations, plus you're at the maximum cap, you have nowhere to go, even if you wanted to, even if your community wanted to, to, to step up to the plate and do it, they couldn't. Uh, because there's nowhere, there's no cap for them to be able to I- expand. And so that's why, you know, you think about these solutions that are out there. TEA can't do anything about that. You know, they can't raise the cap. They, they don't have the authority to do that. And, again, I think a lot of the things that we're hearing uh, from the commissioner of education, he's been working very hard, by the way, and, and I know he's trying really hard, but at some point in time he's, he's limited 
to statutorily what 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 he's allowed to do. And and as we, and again, as we as we're progressing along here, um, you know, you're you're you know 16 months away from a from the start of a session, and who knows, you know, what the legislature is going to look like. Uh, in 19, who's going to be there, and can they even agree? I mean, I, you know, I don't think until the like last couple of weeks of the session do we even think we were going to get a budget done. So those are those are real things, right? Right. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but but I I, I want to add one maybe more controversial part to this because um, great. <laughs> um, because I do think this will also play in going in the next legislative session. Because it started this session, and I think it'll go in the next session, is charter schools and how they fit into the, the larger picture of public school finance. And so when we talk a little bit about recapture, we talk about Houston, we talk about Austin, charter schools, you know, do take, not, they are part of the equation in creating, in creating how much those school districts get. And so it does play with the numbers a little bit. I, I'm really interested to see how that goes in into the next legislative session because when we have a crisis like we just had in, in, you know, with Harvey, there's usually a couple of options. Either things get better or we, they, they remain a status quo and things don't get solved. And so we have a really great opportunity to solve problems and that is one conversation that is always left undone. And I have to chime in about the charter schools as well. And it is hard to talk about it because charter schools are public schools. And so we're supportive of charter schools in that they're public schools. But the funding is, um, is controversial to some of us because we're not adequately funding our districts. And the way that it's set up, because charter schools cannot tax locally, they get all of their dollars per pupil from the state. Whereas our traditional public schools, which educate essentially 94% of the students in public schools, only get about a third of their dollars from the state, and the rest is coming from you, the property taxpayer. Until we rectify that, it's very difficult when you come in and you look at a budget that has uh, the state decreasing the amount of funding to our traditional public schools by $3 billion, and then increasing the amount the state's giving to charters by, I think it was $1.4 billion? I think it's $1.7 billion. Whatever the number, final number was. It's increasing it because of the nature of the, of the finance mechanism. Because char- charters get their entire amount from the state. But that's hard to swallow when the traditional public schools are getting less and your increased property values and your recapture dollars are going to pay for an increase in charter schools. We can have the debate about good, bad charter schools and all of that, and everybody can have their opinions about that. But when we're talking about the funding, it's not okay with a lot of us because we're giving short shrift to the vast majority of our school districts that educate the vast majority of our public school students. Uh, Chairman Hibberty, uh I would love to know where you stand on this issue because you've sort of... I mean, with uh, HB 21, you know, when it came back in the special session, it had funding for charters. Uh, then that went away. <laughs> the education, uh, traditional public school yeah. advocates did not like that. Um, and then ultimately, I mean, you all, uh, well, not you all did not vote on it. That's true. Um, but Chairman, you... No, we did. We voted on it a bit. It was in House Bill 21. In, right. And facilities funding for, yeah. for House Bill 21. Yeah. For charters. Yep. And for traditional. Well, yeah, yeah, no, it was it was for traditional EDA and also and also charters. Yeah, look, 
Um, what, what, we, what we were asking for um, in, in House Bill 21 was, again, a first step um, in the right direction, we felt. And uh, I knew that that was important. To, that Clearly, we knew that that was very important to um, Lieutenant Governor uh, and many of the senators over there. Um, and, you know, my, my views on the charter uh, schools has, has, you know, certainly I was very involved in 2013 when we did Senate Bill 2. Uh, that that addressed uh, you know charter schools getting rid of the bad ones. I mean, because that was really that's really a big issue. You want to get rid of the bad the bad ones that are out there. Now, a lot of my friends uh, that that are within the education committee were upset about you know ultimately House Bill Twenty One, and I, I I reminded them. I said not as upset as I was. Uh, I was very disappointed in, in in what we got. But again, you know we had um, the Asitar issue uh, that we had to deal with. We had TRS care. There was a lot of things that were put into that bill. Uh, at the very end of the day. And, uh, you know, I sat across from the governor. The governor told me, if you, you know, if, if we don't get these two or three things, I'm going to call you back. Um, it wasn't going to get better. The special session, the next special session was not going to get better. It was only going to get worse. And, um, you know, we sat around and talked about it and ultimately made a decision to concur and, and, and take that bill and go on. And I had people that were, that were, that understood. And Mary got up and talked about it in the back. And I said, you know, I think I was very clear. I said, this is not the deal that I want. This is not the deal that I think is right. This is not the deal that I think it is, but it's the deal we got. And we're incremental, and we're going to take steps in the right direction to be able to deal with that. I have no uh, illusions about grandstanding up there and pounding my fist on the table and say, hey, I got screwed. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we worked as hard as we could for months and months, years and, and months. You know, Chairman Aycock worked on it. had the same problem that I had, which is that, you know, you just can't convince if somebody just doesn't want to do it. And again, when you bring politics into the middle of it, um, that's just what happens. Um, so again, things that, that needed to happen as we go forward. And I think that if you look at the charter schools in general, um, you've got some really good ones. You've got the recovery dropouts. You've got some special needs programs that are out there. Uh, but, but again, I, I was the first one, you know, day one that said, I'm not a voucher guy. And, and you know, we didn't let that happen. And, and you know, we're going to invest in our schools, invest in our children. Uh, as Harold Dutton always says, he says, you know, there's a difference between school choice and school preference. School choice is you, there's many of opportunities for children. Charter schools and virtual schools and magnet schools, IB home programs, schools. home schools. There's all kinds of opportunities. But there's preference, which is that they prefer that I pay for it. And I, uh, uh, I believe that as we continue to go forward, and, and what's happening with Harvey is a perfect example of, of making sure we're dedicating our resources into our public schools, and that includes the charters. But that, I mean, the fact, just to build on what you're saying, the governor said something about how if we didn't do ACETAR and how we didn't do... Um, TRS. TRS, and we would be called back. Now we have Harvey, and that is as big as, big as an issue as ACETAR and TRS. And so that statement was made. I was, I'm hoping, I'm still hopeful, that, that he'll recognize that those, that those things are equivalent. And I don't disagree with you, but I think that, that again, we, you have to have your appropriations hearings. We have to have our, yes. our hearings. We, we really need to get a, an understanding of it because we do want to go in it, with a plan. And, and you know, my intention would be is I think we're going to learn a lot over the next 30 days of, of what the needs are and how quickly we need them. Because I think, again, we need to act and we need to, we need to act quickly. But we, we can't just do it and haphazardly say, hey, you know, call us back. Well, you know, it's not like we were, like, really cohesive during the last special session. So I just want to <laughs> make sure that we're very disciplined and focused as we go forward, you know? So. Right. Um, so I'm going to ask one last question and then go to questions from the audience. If you want, just, uh, just start lining up behind the mic. It's in the, the middle of the aisles. Um, and lastly, I just wanted to talk about students. I mean, obviously, that's why everyone's here. Um, that's what we're talking about when we talk about school finance. Part of the problem, it seems, is that uh, Texas's 
public school students look really different than they did decades ago. Um, increasingly, they're Hispanic. Increasingly, they're low income. They um, have more needs, and that translates to needing more money. Um, and you know, part of the part of the bill that passed was a commission to to study school finance. Um, what should one of the first things be for that commission to look into, um, taking into account the the student body that we're talking about and the student body that was overwhelmingly uh, affected by Harvey? You know, Houston area obviously has a lot of those students as well. Well, I mean. I come from El Paso, the border area. The communities you're describing are the communities that I live in. I, I started the story yesterday that when I was in high school, some of my friends came and took a shower in our local high school because we have 263 colonias in my district. And so that means communities that don't have sewer, water, um, roads, sidewalks, streetlights, basic infrastructure. And so the schools really provide some of the basic necessities and needs for some of these students that I think people in you know urban areas may forget sometimes the ability to flush your toilet, the ability to take a shower and not worry about that. And so um, is there a higher cost put on that school? Yes. Should that be part of the equation? Yes. And how do we determine that? By looking at the weights. Weights for low-income students are comp ed, weights for students of color. Um, we also know we underfund our weights for students with disabilities, and we have a lot of weights that we need to look at. And so if we are truly funding the cost of education, one of the things we have to look at, specifically if we're thinking about Texas in the next 20, 30 years and the changing dem demographics, is we have to look at the weights because we know they're underfunded, we know that the cost of education is greater, and we know it will have a direct impact on the future of Texas 20 years from now. And the way we did that before is we backed into it. We came up with numbers, and then we said, well, this is how much money we have to spend, so therefore we're going to back into the weight rather than what it actually costs. And, and any time you do that, you're never going to have enough uh, uh, resources to do what you really intended to do. We really need to have a true study of the weights and the cost of education. And when we're also talking about the different... Uh, uh, the weights and the cost of education index, recognizing that those were done decades ago and haven't been changed, and the state has greatly changed over the past several decades. So what we're even doing right now makes no sense with the weights and the cost of education index that we have. And just to throw out a shout to AISD, Austin Independent School District, to give an example here, uh, I see board chair over here. Yeah, hey, over there. Um, that, uh, you know, we are the largest payer of recapture dollars and yet have 60% of the students basically on free and reduced lunch. You have a huge number of low-income students in a property wealthy district, and you're sending back what over the next two years, I think my understanding is something like $1.3 billion back to the state instead of being able to use that. And, and granted, I've got to always think about Mary here, and that's the way the state should work. Think about Mary here, because Mary's community does not have the property wealth to address the needs of her district. We've got to find a system that addresses the Austins, the Houstons, the suburbs, the rural, the colonias. We are a great big state, and we cannot, we can't leave any of them out. They are all a part of our future. And, and one of the things that I'm recommending is that we look more seriously at what we've done with higher education, which is the 60 by 30 Texas plan, the strategic plan we have for higher education, that everybody is involved in higher education, knows that plan and talks about it. We have a specific goal that we want 60% of our certain cohort to have a postgraduate degree by the year 2030. I don't think we have that for PubEd. I know the State Board of Education has some kind of strategic planning. I don't know what it is. 
We should know what the strategic plan is for public education in Texas, and we should all be working toward that same goal. Well, and uh, Senators, sorry, yeah, I agree. Uh, <laughs> Senator Seliger said something really interesting yesterday, and he said what is so fascinating is in Texas, in Clint, Texas, it would cost so much to educate this one student. In Dallas, Texas, it costs so much different, but yet there could be the same exact student, and why is there a difference in cost? And while there is difference in cost ge geographically, does that student cost less because it lives in a different geographic area? And so I think there's a lot of conversations that need to happen about how the structural, just the way it's even structured means students, different students cost different amount, amount of money, um, not because of who they are, but because of where they live, and that's, that creates an inequity. Good questions. I think they answered it fine. <laughs> there's, pl there's plenty to do on the Finance Commission. My hope is that whoever gets appointed are serious about it and they want to have meaningful discussions. The one thing that I've, I've, I've shared and I've told this to the governor and, and, and Larry Taylor and, and, and the speaker is, is that please don't put people on that we have to have School Finance 101. If we have to yes. do that, I'm on the commission. I'm walking out. Because I don't want to waste my time anymore. Yeah. You know, I mean, if that's what we're going to do, let's have a real meaningful discussion. Let's let's try and try and fix it. My hope is is that there'll have the, there'll, there'll be people that have the political courage uh, to 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 fix the to fix the system as we go forward. Because we haven't been able to seem to find it, at least in the eight years that I've been here. So, great. Let's start with with questions. Hi, I'm Louis Malfaro with the Texas American Federation of Teachers. So I thought Donna's point kind of answered Representative Huberty. Your last point. Uh, about the pie not being big enough. The problem really isn't that we, you guys aren't smart enough to do school finance and be equitable. The problem is that there's not the political will to put more money in to public education. So I'd be curious to hear from each of you what you think a new source of revenue might be um, to fund public schools. The franchise tax was supposed to cover the property tax cut. Never did, and all the legislature has done is reduce the franchise tax. We have an outrageous corporate loophole in our property taxes that allow businesses to not disclose how much money they sell their property for, to challenge their valuation based on so-called comparable values, and then to get their legal fees paid if they win against the, the appraisal districts. Mary, you mentioned corporate tax breaks. We have a billion-dollar giveaway to the natural gas industry. Last time I checked, oil and gas are making a hell of a lot of money. So I'd like to know from each one of you what you think is a realistic way to raise taxes in Texas for K-12 education. Dan? <laughs> Look, I, uh, I, I, I was a school board guy that, that, that went to his community and we got bonds passed. Uh, you know, I voted for the, uh, the uh, golden pennies and went out to our community. Um, and, and, and went up to the dollar seventeen. Um, I think there's, there's two things. Number one, you have to study the cost of education index, and we talk about the weights and all these other things. What does it truly cost to educate somebody? You have school districts that are out there that are getting, you know, 9,000 bucks a kid, all right? And you have school districts that are getting 4,600 bucks a kid. I mean, it's all over the place. And so part of it is, is that you have to actually study and say, what does it really cost to educate these children? And then you have to look at the 
the, the outdated formulas related to transportation that hadn't been adjusted since 1984 uh, and, and address those issues. And then figure out how big is the pie, how big does the pie need to be, and then start having those discussions. Look, I've, I've talked to people about the consumption tax. I think that's a good way to do it. I think there's, there's opportunities to be able to, 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 to identify those as you go forward. Um, I believe uh, that because there's about 400 school districts out there, we already have a statewide property tax. Uh, I think that's a, probably a fair assessment. I think that you know, if I was you know David Thompson or somebody like that, I would be looking uh, in that direction uh, uh, to the courts as we continue to go forward. Since we didn't actually do anything uh, this legislative session to, to fix the school finance, uh, but again, I think as the commission goes forward, I think part of the part of the issue is studying the revenue streams that are coming in, identifying where those are at, uh, and making sure that we understand how much it really does cost to educate the children. Because to be honest with you, we have no idea. We we, we don't know. We really don't. I mean, it's, it's a swag right now. And it's just, you know, you just keep doing the same thing. And remember in 11, you know, when we cut, we just 6% across the board. So, you know, those are things that we need to go forward and we need to do it right now. And I think I've already answered that to a certain extent when I got him to back away from me. Uh, but that the, we are planning, we have, I've asked for, and I think we are going to have, I think I've got the support of both the chairman of, of appropriations and House Ways and Means to have a joint hearing over the interim where, like we did during the last interim, where appropriations and public education met, it was an extremely valuable opportunity for us to hear kind of both sides of the equation, if you will. Uh, same thing here. We want to talk about what the, the uh, budget needs are and then have ways and means that are helping us talk about what potential revenue streams we could be looking at. So I think we are, we're, we're wanting to have those discussions and move forward. Um, and I, I gave some examples while ago of the kinds of things that I think I would look at. I think what's really powerful is the House is really willing to have these conversations. I think the problem is, is do the both chambers really agree? And we have seen that's not the case. And so we can come up with great ideas about creating revenue. I really question about whether or not those same ideas would be accepted on the other side of the chamber. Yep. Um, and, and to say, I thank, thankfully, um, Chairman Huberty allowed me to present a bill during the special session when it was really a learning laboratory. And, it talk, and what it did is all it did was update the weights and the CEI and to just update. Really kept in, in place most of the equation and just got rid of some of the hold harmlesses. But that bill cost $18 billion. So we know probably at minimum just to update possibly, even though we don't know a direct cost, we, we're in the ballpark, I would think, of $18 billion. I would start with the $43.7 billion the Comptroller has identified in corporate breaks and go from there and see, do we need to have all those? Right. So we have time, probably. This is the last question. <laughs> oh, hi, guys. Uh, hi. Thanks for coming and answering our questions. I was wondering why there's such a disparity in, like, uh, uh, educating the cost of educating per student in Texas what that's about, maybe the study will reveal. But also, if you had all this money that you're asking for, what would you uh, spend it on? What would you, well, what would, you if you had money, more oh, money? Oh, well, well I, you know, one example would be is that, you know, in 2013, I passed a bill that identified how many dyslexic students are uh, in, 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 in the state of Texas. We've identified 160,000 of them. However, I believe that it's under, um, under identifying them because we don't give any money. And when you all of a sudden identify somebody and create a new 504 capacity form, it costs money associated with that. We tried to get uh, a weight associated with that in House Bill 21 to spend $100 million. There's a .1 weight uh, to be able to do that. Um, that would be a great start is to help those children. Uh, Rick Miller passed a bill this legislative session that identifies children with dyslexia now in kindergarten. Uh, we had a lot of discussions about the, the, the cost related to special needs children, specifically autism. I know there's a lot of different other uh, issues that are out there, but we had $100 million set aside for that. Um, I think the special education population has been woefully underserved. 
I think it was very clear this last um, I think it was clear I think it was clear from the from the report that was released that showed that that the TEA was artificially putting a cap on how many students could participate in special education uh, it was a travesty to those children uh, and then and then you've got situations where you have high schools um, that have been on IR for seven eight years in a row Houston's got a huge problem uh, with about 30 schools right now you have a, you have a generation of students can't read and write can't pass a test uh, and and those are where resources need to go um, and and making sure that we identify those children as, as we continue to go forward um, you know I'm not here to tell you that Mary's idea of popping 18 billion dollars in there is going is going to change is going to change the world but you know the teaching profession is one where we're seeing more and more whereas you know the, the major, more than more than 50 percent of the, of the of the teachers that are getting certified are going through alt certified programs they're not going through four-year degrees because why they don't want to go to college and be a teacher anymore because why because we don't pay them enough uh, and, and and we don't we don't we don't take care of them uh, and you know we're having debates on the floor about TRS care and and and, and you know it's real serious debates about this and and uh, you, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of issues that are out there, but those are those are the starting points, right, of, of where you would start. But again, we'll, as we go forward, you know, looking comp end weights and 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 uh, uh, you know ESL. I mean, that's a that's a huge issue for us as as we go forward. Right. I think we're out of time, but thank you so much to our panelists. Thank you for being here.